Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ice the Kicker. My name is Glenn DeNegris alongside Matt Ferrara. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs are over. The Chiefs and Bills moved on in the AFC and the Packers and the Buccaneers moved on in the NFC. And they will play this upcoming Sunday to decide who plays in the 2021 Super Bowl. The divisional round was no, there was no lack of drama, no lack of interesting storylines so, Matt, we're just going to get right into it. I feel like the most riveting game of this weekend was obviously the Chiefs-Browns game um, early on Sunday. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can go about this game. We can talk about, you know, Andy Reid's coaching decision. We can talk about um, Patrick Mahomes getting hurt, concussion protocol, um, right now questionable for uh, this Sunday's AFC Championship game. I would be shocked if he doesn't play. But mm-hmm. I think we should start at the end of this game where I just alluded to with Andy Reid's decision when it was third and 19 with Chad Henney under center. I was watching the game with my brother and I was like, they're just going to run it up the middle. They're going to punt and they're going to dare Baker Mayfield to drive 85 yards down the field and score a touchdown and beat them. Well, Chad Henney scrambled, former Dolphin great. The last time the <laughs> Dolphins had a playoff game, I think it was against the Steelers. I think Chad Henney started that game. Am I right? Uh, that Matt Moore did. That was that. Matt Moore. Oh, that was Matt Moore. Chad, okay, well, Chad, Chad, Chad Henney was before Tannehill, before Pennington. Oh he my was God. Oh my. So yeah, he's, he's like, been around for a while. Yeah. So Chad Henney scrambles for around 18 yards. It looked like he got the first down to ice the game. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then they line up for the fourth down. I'm like, oh, they're just trying to try to draw him off side. And then Kansas City snaps the ball. Quick little outlet pass to Tyreek Hill. Boom, game over. And I tweeted this. That is a horrible coaching decision, in my opinion. It worked out, so he looks like a mm-hmm. genius. But if there's like a simple drop and the Browns get the ball back on the 48-yard line, Baker's driving down the field with plenty of time left to get the win. So I was shocked that Andy Reid had the stones to do that. I don't think a lot of NFL coaches would have done that. I think they would have punted, but that's just the way Kansas City plays. They have all the confidence in the world. And I think that 18-yard run gave them all the momentum to ice that game and have an Andy Reed to have the confidence in Hetty to ice that game. Yeah. I mean, and we touched upon it last week talking about Peter, maybe two weeks ago, even talking about Peterson and analytics and stuff like that. And like you just alluded to, I'm sure every stat in the book and every analytic in the book would say you punt that ball. But the fact of the matter is Andy Reed put his faith in not just Chad Henney, because I believe any quarterback can make that kind of out route throw there, just kind of rolling. I don't think that was necessarily a hard throw, but he put his faith in Tyree Kill and that play design that basically freed him up. There was no pick play, no nothing like that, but basically had a slant going across the middle, and then he took the out, and it was basically Tyree Kill in the slot against the linebacker. See, that's what I, t- I mean by you have to trust your gut, and you, you they probably, I'm sure, went to the line saw who was lined up against Tyreek Hill and said, all right, we're ready to go. And it it was just really funny to see that Tony Romo, who is Nostradamus and can predict everything, got fooled. So that was pretty interesting to see. And he was going nuts. And that's what I mean. If you have a play that you know is going to work and you obviously have one of the best wide receivers and easily probably the quickest and shiftiest receiver in Tyreek Hill, you do that play. It's kind of as simple as that. So tip of the cap to Andy Reid, a very, very gutsy, ballsy decision. But it paid off, so I thought it was an awesome game all around. And honestly, uh, it, it uh, trying to go to the Brown side now, 
kind of slightly disappointing. I mean, you had the backup in Chad Henney is not a good quarterback by any means. You had, like you said, like a third and 15, whatever it was. And then you allow Chad Henney to scramble and get to within one yard of that first down. If you stop him and it's like fourth and three, now that you're punting the ball. So just a little bit of a letdown there in all honesty, I think for the Browns in that fourth quarter. Yeah, that was definitely a defensive gaffe there that really cost them the game because if they just play it safe and don't allow Henny. First of all, he probably had no idea Henny was even thinking about scrambling (laughs) at that point. But if they just hold them to even like a 10 yard gain, like Mm -hmm. they're punting that ball away and Baker Mayfield's getting the ball back to drive them down the field to potentially win the game in Kansas city. But it's just, it was just a bad defensive play just to allow Henny to just have all that open room to run. And it cost them the game. Now a little bad luck for Cleveland's, in the end of the first half, I believe it was because they were driving down the field and they really looked like they were about to score a touchdown and Baker Mayfield throws the ball. Who's the receiver? It's blanking. I don't have it written down. Uh, I think it was the guy Higgins. It was Higgins and he has the ball around the five. He dives and extends towards the goal line and he loses the football, goes out of the bounds in the end zone. And that's a touchback and a turnover and Kansas city gets the ball to 20 Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes will do at the end of a half drives down. They get a field goal. That is a big play in that game. And it proved to be the difference that a 22 to 17 score. Mm-hmm. If you're Cleveland, if I was a Cleveland fan, I'd be absolutely livid and I'd be calling for the rule to be changed. It, a lot of people went crazy. I was like, this is a stupid rule. It shouldn't be like that. Literally any other way for that rule to be changed would be better than what it currently is. Yeah, so we, we could we could stay on this, I'm sure, for a good amount of time. So a couple things that you uh, kind of that you can do, and I agree with you. I think the rule is, is dumb in the extent that it is. So right off the bat, you kind of look at the first rule that is in play where the ball only has to kind of nick the the uh, either the pylon or it just has to cross the goal line the very slightest. I feel like something you could do is make it you have to have the whole ball cross the goal line. So that'll kind of eliminate a little bit slightly the reaching, just to get it across a little bit. And then you kind of bring it back. Like, no, you have to clear it in full, but just, it's such a weird rule. When you look at it is not only did they turn the ball over, but now you're also going to give the team who's now getting the ball an extra 20 yards. Like that to me is just, it's way too much of a momentum swing and it's, it's way too much of a gift given to uh, the chiefs in that situation. So that kind of raised some concerns to me. I'm curious what you think of guess what you could do. I I think I read this from other people. I don't want to take this idea and make it my own because it's not. So I read this from other places. Mm -hmm. A lot of other people talking about, I thought it was a good idea. If that happens, then the Browns should get the ball back, but put them at the 20. So they're not going to have the ball at the three-yard line or wherever they dove out. And, and mm-hmm. you know, Kansas City doesn't deserve the ball there because they didn't recover the fumble. They just It just went out of bounds. So I think the most mm-hmm. fair thing to do is make it uh, first and 10 at the 20-yard line. And, mm-hmm. and just, I, I it's it's hard to say redo because that's that's kind of elementary and stupid for a professional football league to have redos. Like yeah. I remember when Dallas's new, when Cowboy stadium opened, remember they do redos. If it hit the, the, the punts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do. A redo. I thought that was stupid, but in this yeah. case, ball goes out of bounds. Offensive team keeps possession, but instead of having them at the goal line, the penalty would be 
they got to go back to the 20 and try again. So I, I think that's the best way to do it. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that the defensive team gets possession one and two gets it 20 yards away from the goal line. I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. I think that's over the top. So I mm-hmm. think the best thing to do is put the ball at the 20 like it normally would be, but just have possession, not change. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of other things too. Like maybe, so say you fumble in the end zone. All right. So you're already penalizing by say the Browns no longer have possession of the ball, but I feel like if you're going to give the chiefs the ball in that situation, you give it to them at like the two, yeah. not the one could, but, but at least maybe the two, because like, again, 20 yards is crazy. Even if you did 10 or five, like, that is night and day different from imagine 20 yards that you're getting extra and you didn't even do anything. You, you caused the fumble and now the other team is losing possession, but now you're going to give it, give them an extra 20 yards. Like that just, it, it doesn't add up in my mind. I have a feeling that the NFL is definitely going to look at that in the off season because that's just too big of a swing, to be honest. Because the rule for any other spot on the field, like if you fumble it at the 50, it goes out of bounds at the 47-yard line. You get the ball at the 47-yard line. Now, you can't, give it mm-hmm. the, you can't give them the ball in the end zone because that would be a touchdown. That's not fair. They did fumble it. So mm-hmm. if there's no change of possession, if the ball went out of bounds in the field of play, then why is there a change of possession in the end zone? I, that just never made sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think it's an easy fix. I think it's either you put yeah. them at the twenty and have them and just keep possession, or you just down them where he was last. I guess had possession of the football Made because the he had possession at like the three. Yeah, something like that. He had possession at like the three and he went out of bounds. So just put the ball at the three. The other thing that was very interesting in that play, Matt, was they reviewed it, and in the mm-hmm. replay, it was a clear helmet to helmet collision that yes, should have yes, been yes, yes, yes. should have been flagged. But that's not mm-hmm. a reviewable, quote unquote, kind of thing to review. My question is why? Why can't you see a bad call on the field, re- regardless if that's the specific thing you're reviewing for or not, and just say, hey, we see on this play that there was an illegal leading with the helmet on a hit. That's a 15 yard penalty for Kansas City's defense. I think I, I-, I don't understand why things like that aren't reviewable, reviewable. I remember they tried Mm -hmm. for a season to make pass interferences reviewable. And Mm -hmm. that was like a disaster because it never actually got changed, even though, even if it was the wrong call, but why wouldn't that be something that's being, being, why isn't that something that would be able to be overturned if you're watching it on a replay review? Yeah. Especially because the NFL is really trying to lead, lead the way in all sports with, just kind of player safety and player health. So it's not like we're telling them to, oh, go back and review holding or go back and review uh, hands to the face. Right? We're not even asking that. Just like the, the obviously like the targeting, something like that. And we see it in college all the time. They always review it. Now, something that I don't like that in college they do is that they kick the player out of the game immediately if they do that. So I don't agree with that part of it. But I think they definitely if they see that it was targeting or lowering the head, whatever it is, then just, yeah, you could tack on a 15-yard penalty. Now, the, the issue that I could see with that, though, is because, first of all, the, the rule is you cannot lower your head to initiate a tackle. That, I think, is the first issue with the rule because when you think about it, when you're tackling, like your head is like leading the way. Like It, it, it has to. It's the, it's the, the, the top of, of your whole body. So – they need to kind of address 
or clean up that uh, the wording around leading with the head. Obviously, like you could see the difference, like when you kind of go in for the spear, your head. I mean, your eyes aren't even on the the player, so you kind of get it. And obviously, helmet to helmet contact, like it, it's it's one of those things that I always hear refs say, like in the heat of the moment, you can't really tell. So I, I have a feeling that there would be so many plays where there is honestly incidental uh, helmet to helmet contact. I mean, we saw it last week with Jamal Adams tackle that guy, his shoulder pad hit the other guy's helmet and then they threw a flag on it. So I just have a feeling that there's, there's so many helmet to helmet kind of contacts in, in the sport of football that they would be stopping and reviewing everything no matter what. See, but to your original point was saying it's more so if you see it as you're reviewing a play, whether it be you challenge for uh, you challenge for whether they caught or not, and then they got a kind of helmet to helmet, then you could throw a flag. So it, it'll be very tough, I think, to only uh, review helmet to helmet calls. I think there's going to be just too many of them. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right in saying that. You know, it's hard to point that out in a review because if you do that then you open the door to any penalty getting called on a review. And then where do you mm -hmm. draw the line of what penalty is changeable in a review and what's just, you know, a missed call? Like, are you going to, are you going to call a hold mm -hmm. on a 50 yard pass play when you're reviewing for if he was inbounds or not? Is that really, is that really what we want to do? Because then they'll be in the booth for like an hour and a half trying to decide things and there'll be yeah. a million reviews per game. And that's that's obviously not what you want. You always want the game moving. You want action. You want things to happen at all times. You don't want to waste the viewers and the fans time by having, you know, three or four 15 minute reviews per game. But I feel like the line could be drawn with this specific penalty, because as you said, the NFL is so adamant about the safety of the player and the danger of leading with the helmet. So I think that's something that, that should be discussed in the offseason and we'll see what comes up with it but more specifically mm -hmm. in terms of what happened on the field um we, it can't go unsaid that patrick mahomes really wasn't healthy in this game he was hobbling around on his leg before even the concussion and then mm -hmm. obviously that concussion left the rest of the game and i the question has to be asked to be asked if for some reason mahomes can't go against the Bills in the AFC Championship game, what chances do the Chiefs have with Henny over a course of 60 minutes against Buffalo? It, it's really big. Like Vegas must be like on pins and needles waiting mm -hmm. for the call to be made on whether or not Mahomes could go because it can mm -hmm. shift the entire the entire game. Yeah, yeah. So so I have a feeling and we we saw it briefly with Henny in his kind of uh, back end of the game stint with, uh, with leading the Chiefs offense. And, and, that's, and that is kind of how good any quarterback could be in a specific system with a good coach and with a good supporting cast. Now, many people uh, are just kind of talking to some of my friends, I and mean, then Reeves specifically was saying how, oh, like, does Chad Henny basically being bad because he, he didn't do too, too much. He threw a god-awful pick. Horrible interception. Yeah. One of the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. So he was like, oh, like if he if he uh, clearly can't thrive here, does that mean Mahomes is that good? Now, not taking anything away from Mahomes, but Chad Henney is historically bad. And, and he's to the extent where I'm shocked he's even still in the NFL. I mean, like I referenced earlier, he was a starting quarterback for the Dolphins, probably close to like 
eight to 10 years ago. And he was bad then. So the fact, and even compare Chad Henney to other backups in the league, like Mariota or Jameis or Dalton or Fitzpatrick, like uh, they're, they're night and day differences. So Chad, and this is so getting to your point is what happens. I still think, I think the chiefs are going to get blown out. Like I, I know that their system is super good, but I think Chad Henney is kind of that bad where they're not going to do anything. And I think the bills offense will just, they'll do, they'll be too much for, uh, the, the Chiefs defense, and you're going to have a Chiefs defense that is constantly playing from behind if Mahomes doesn't play. I think it goes without saying that you know 100% of NFL fans want Patrick Mahomes to be healthy and want them to pl- want him to play in this game because mm. you know obviously that's what's good for the sport, that's what's the most entertaining, and he is probably the best football player in the sport right now. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. in my opinion at least. Yeah, but. I think if he doesn't play and we're forced to see what Chad Henney can do, even with all the weapons that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have, Mm -hmm. I think it'll really show the value that Patrick Mahomes has for the Chiefs. I I see I see the argument a lot with Patrick Mahomes from all the from everyone who like tries to hate on him saying, oh, look at the roster he has around him. It's like a Pro Bowl team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it can't go unsaid what Patrick Mahomes brings to the table. And I think, Matt, if he doesn't go, I think a lot of people will finally see how great this guy really is. Yeah, and, and we, we've we touched upon it very briefly, but I, I am all in favor that you need a supporting cast to, to do well, especially to put up wins. Now, Watson is probably the only quarterback who doesn't have a good supporting cast, and he's doing great. And I think that just speaks volumes to how good he actually is. And with Mahomes' situation, I think he is a elite, great, probably generational talent. And he's also on uh, an elite team with an elite coach. It, it is, it's okay, and it's possible for all kind of three things to happen. And then when you think about perfect situations, I think Patrick Mahomes and just the whole Kansas City Chiefs, they are in a perfect situation right now. Yeah, I, I think I think Mahomes. It would shock if if Mahomes is healthy and he's good to go. I absolutely mm-hmm. am taking the Chiefs against the Bills, and we'll get to the Bills Ravens in a second. But mm-hmm. you know, as you said, like every quarterback is a system quarterback, but you also need a great quarterback to really get jo- get the job done. We've seen it time and time again with Mahomes this season, at least four times. Like at the end of a half, at the end of the fourth quarter, you need a drive. You know, it's the quarterback that's constructing and orchestrating those drives, no matter how mm-hmm. good your weapons are, no matter how good Tyree Kill is or Sammy Watkins is or mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey is. You still need the quarterback to throw it to him. And I don't think that anyone does it better than Patrick Mahomes, especially Chad Henney. So we'll mm-hmm. see what happens with the Chiefs who are going to play the Bills. But before we get to the Bills and Ravens, because there was another concussion in that game we got to talk about. <laughs> Just to put to bed Cleveland, they're going to be around for a while. They have a good good young nucleus of talent. They have the right coach, Mm -hmm. it looks like, and they have Baker Mayfield. But in this game, Mayfield, 23 of 37, 204 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt ran for 69 yards and 32 yards, respectively. Do you think that this was the their, I don't know how to say it, was, was this really their best performance or they I feel like they let a lot to be desired in this game offensively even with the even with the fumble mixed in yeah to to be honest I feel like that fumble is is enough to to for for us to say that it was a bad offensive day I think 
if Mayfield has two touchdowns now and then you give Higgins his touchdown and you give Cleveland an extra seven points, now it kind of raises that question of are we even saying uh, they had a bad day? So I think that they, they did have a good day, and I, I think that fumble really kind of just ruined the whole entire game for the Browns. So where they are at, at least with the total number of points at 17, and then kind of looking at Mayfield's stats, I mean, even you look at the rushing attack, they still had over 100 yards, which is good in any game. It, if that touchdown would have went in, then I think we would be talking totally different right now. So I'm going to give the Browns the benefit of the doubt and say they did a good job, not a great job. Yeah, I give the Chiefs defense credit as well because when Mahomes True. went down, the, all the pressure was on them. Nothing was, mm-hmm. nothing more was expected from the Chiefs offense. So the the Chiefs defense knew that they needed to stop the Browns now because it was on in all likelihood the Chiefs weren't going to score many more points in that game once Mahomes left. So mm-hmm. they bared down and they got a key stop late in the fourth quarter of the Browns force them the punt. And then the drive, the last drive happened that ended in that Tyreek catch on, on fourth down. So give the mm-hmm. chiefs credit. I think because their offense is so overwhelmingly good. I think their defense doesn't get the credit that they deserve. They're not the best defense in the world, but they have but, guys that they have playmakers. They have guys that are going to, that are going to turn the ball over. They're going to have guys that are going to make stops. So mm-hmm. good for the chiefs. And that's, you know, something that's that uh, Josh Allen's going to need to deal with because Josh Allen and the bills one against the Ravens 17 to three. This game ended in a really quick two play sequence. It seems so the Ravens were driving down the field and then boom, Jackson throws the pick six hundred yards to uh, have it written down Teron Johnson. Mm-hmm. And then Ravens immediately get the ball back. And I feel like, I think it was the next play Jackson gets hit. He's concussed. He's out of the game. And that was pretty much it. Ravens only three points offensively. John Tucker missed two field goals, which is amazing because he never misses. And the Bills, (laughs) they did what they needed to do. Allen was 23 of 37, 206 yards, um, one touchdown, no interceptions. Was it 206? I can't read my handwriting. Give me a second. Hold up. Hold up. It was 206, yes. So the Bills did what they needed to do offensively. They were able to stop Lamar for a while he was in the game. And I thought that the Ravens could win this game. But at the end of the day, I think this entire season, the Chiefs and Bills were on a collision course for the championship game. And that's exactly what we got. Yeah, I I, something that I kind of want to raise like a slight red flag on is the Bills offense. They've been doing, like, enough to win, but they're kind of stagnant right now. And I feel like if they're going to enter into a shootout against Mahomes, I feel like the Chiefs might not blow them away. But I think They had they might... no rushing game whatsoever in this game. Yeah. They had 30, uh, I... 32 total yards rushing. And and obviously that was part of the game plan because the, the OC, Brian Devil, had, like, his first 10 plays were, like, pass plays. That, that was, like, it was it had to be, like, a, a record of, of some sort. And... I just, again, uh, we, we saw it last week and they didn't score that many points. Then now you see it again and seven of, of their points was off a, a pick six. So I don't know. I, I'm curious how the the vibe is in with the Bills and just kind of in, in that locker room with how their offense is doing right now because you haven't really seen it be too, too great and explosive. I mean, Josh Allen's still making the plays when he needs to, but you're not seeing those 20, 30, if not 40 point games. So kind of curious to see how uh, 
they go up against the Chiefs and if they kind of can outlast them because if you score 17 points against the Chiefs, as we saw with the Browns, you're not winning the football game. I'm looking at the stats from the wildcard game against the Colts. They had 96 mm-hmm. rushing yards against the Colts. I mean, Josh Allen had 54 of them. So their backs in that game only had 42 yards rushing. So mm-hmm. they are completely dependent on what, jo- what Josh Allen can do in the air throwing the football. Now, is that mm-hmm. the best strategy to have when you're in January and you're playing in Buffalo and you're playing in Kansas City to always be throwing it through the air in those frigid temperatures? I'm not sure that's the best and most wise game plan to have offensively. So. Under the circumstances that Mahomes is going to play and Kansas City's at full strength this week, the Bills need to have a better rushing attack to balance out their offense. If they don't, then, you know, can Allen win a throwing match against Patrick Mahomes? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he could. And if I'm if I'm the Buffalo offensive coordinator, I don't want to find out because I want my running game to do a lot better, open up the play action pass. And, you know, even just have some threat of a mm-hmm. rushing attack. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at you just kind of go go throughout the, the games. Every winning team had over uh, 100 yards. I mean, uh, rushing, focusing on that. So, you, I mean, you look at the Chiefs, they had 123 yards. They're averaging 5.1 yards a carry. Like That's like next level stuff right there. You look at even the Packers game, which we'll get to, but just focusing on their rushing attack, they had 188 yards and they were 5.2 yards per carry. You look at it's So it, it's, it's interesting. And I think either I or you alluded to it uh, a couple of weeks ago saying that same thing. It's colder most of the time where you are. And for some reason, once you get to playoff football, it seems to transition to a lot more of smash mouth, lower scoring, time of possession type game. So with, and again, to, to shed light to the, the Bills rushing uh, attack there, they lost Zach Moss a couple weeks ago to I think a pretty bad ankle or knee injury. And Devin Singletary is pretty much their premier and only uh, rusher right now. Now I'm confused why they're still not even calling rushing plays, but I don't think it's really a recipe for success to just put it all in Josh Allen's hand to outduel Mahomes. And, Got to give credit to the Chiefs defense, too. They're no slouch. Yeah, and and the big difference between the Kansas City Chiefs offense and the Buffalo Bills offense is that, you know, the Chiefs will will give it off to a a plethora of different people. They'll run swings with wide receivers. They'll give it Mm -hmm. to Daryl Williams. They'll give it to Hilaire. They'll give it to Le'Veon Bell. They they really have a balanced offense. They're not totally um, predicated on Patrick Mahomes saving them every single week. And you remember... At the end of the regular season, the Chiefs weren't lighting it up offensively. Specifically, Patrick Mahomes wasn't lighting it up offensively, but they were still winning games because they had a balanced offensive attack. attack, Mm -hmm. And the Bills clearly don't have that. And that Mm -hmm. would be my big worry going into Sunday that, you know, they're going to they're going to make Allen throw the ball 50, 60 times. And especially if Kansas City gets ahead in this game early and the Bills are playing from behind. That would that's something that's really dangerous because you guys you have guys like Tyron Matthew on that defense that are gonna just ball hawk and it, it would it wouldn't surprise me if you make Allen throw the ball as much as it looks like he's gonna have to 
mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me if he gives the ball away. It wouldn't surprise me if he threw a couple picks in this game. That's nothing against Josh Allen. That's just what happens when you ask so much of your quarterback, no matter how great he is. And, and again, it just, it, if, if, if anybody can learn anything from our podcast and just th- throughout the whole season episode is that you need the quarterback and just the offense. It, it's such a complex thing that you cannot pinpoint to just one attribute. Oh, your quarterback's got a good arm. You're going to be successful. Your quarterback's smart. You're going to be successful. No, you need, all phases of the game to be firing all cylinders to do well and to win games. So like you keep saying right now, when Mahomes isn't there, they have their rushing attack. Josh Allen right now in the Bills offense, their rushing attack has completely abandoned them and they're, they're lucky they're winning games that Colts game easily could have gone the other way. And even, even this past game, if the Ravens or say if, if the pick uh, six doesn't happen and that's a touchdown pass instead, yeah, it's all of a sudden uh 10, 10, and then everything's completely changed. The sequence of events doesn't happen where Lamar Jackson goes down. He's probably mm-hmm. still in the game for the entire time. We might be here talking about the Ravens moving on to play Kansas city and not mm-hmm. the bills. So that pick six save them. Cause that's a, what that's, a 14 point swing right there because yeah. instead of seven for Baltimore, it's seven for seven Buffalo. For the That's Bills, the game yeah. right there. Yeah. So without, without, you know, the rushing attack, the, the Buffalo scored 17 points, but obviously seven of that is from the pick six. Their offense was really underwhelming in a home game mm-hmm. in Buffalo, obviously with the fans there, there was only around 6,500. It sounded like a full house and they still yeah. couldn't oh do my. anything. Because as we've been talking about, the rushing attack just wasn't there to complement what Josh Allen could do. Yeah, and just you, you hit the nail on the head. I wanted to touch upon something real quick about the fans. So there's been at every game either no fans or like no more than like 7,000. These stadiums are erupting. I don't know if like yeah. the, the TV crews are like pumping in noise as well or they're hyping it up. I don't know what it is, but like, can you imagine what it's going to be like when they're even at say 50% capacity and you see like 20,000 fans, let alone 50, 60, 70. Like, I mean, we've got a full year now with all sports having basically no fans. So now that they're allowing a little bit in, it sounds like a full house. Uh, I agree. The, the, also this is the first time Buffalo has hosted playoff games in like a quarter of a century. So that's another thing. I luckily for, for us being, uh, bigger baseball fans, I feel like the first event to have uh, a full house might be a World Series game. Yeah, I think by the I think by the MLB playoffs, I think they'll be full stadiums, I, I, I or maybe even maybe too. even September. I think the first thing we could see is a full football stadium in opening day September, because the big difference yeah. between the NFL and MLB is obviously NFL's once a week. And it's yeah. just one game. Baseball, mm-hmm. you play every single day. So you got to clear the stadium. You're getting 50,000 new people in there. In a football stadium, it's just one one time per week. You get people in, you get people out, and then you, you just see what happens. But I think it, as we get a little sidetracked, I think yeah, I think September we'll see full full football stadiums. And I think by the MLB playoffs, I think we'll see full baseball stadiums. Um, Something yeah. I forgot. I kind of forgot to say about this game in particular, talking about the point swing between the pick six. Also, if Tucker makes two field goals, that's another yeah. six points. 
That's another six points for Baltimore. So the more we talk about it, the more we realize that Buffalo got really fortunate to get out of this game alive. Yeah, there was just, I mean, clearly there was like 35 mile an hour wins. And even, uh, I believe Tyler Bass of the Bills, he missed his uh, couple uh, field goals too. So I I feel like it it was one of those things where if you were any more than like 35 yards out, probably should have just went for it. I don't even care if it was fourth and 10. You just go for it because there was like no shot these these field goals were going in. And like not only, at least for Tyler Bass and the Bills, he was missing by like yards. Like at least Tucker was yeah. hitting the upright. But it, 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 again, it, it was one of those things where it's like, all right, you got you to gotta just play the percentages in your gut and say, what are the odds he's going to make this field goal with the crazy swirling wind that's going on right now? If it's a fourth and three, maybe you just go for it. Screw it. Why not? So – uh, not that to say that they miscoached the game because obviously you want to try to go for the field goal and they missed it by the length of the width of a ball, but it's something to think about kind of in, in the near future. I mean, I know the Packers uh, Packers Bucks game is going to be in 25 degree temperature. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of wind there too in, yeah. uh, in green Bay. So it's something to think about. So Buffalo wins, they move on by a score of 17 to three. That'll face off with a chiefs bills, AFC championship game. As I said before, it, it kind of felt like this was going to happen from from the get-go. Um, but before we get into that, let's do the NFC. Um, mm-hmm. The Bucks and the Saints, this was probably Drew Brees' last game in the NFL. Bucks win by 10, 30 to 20. Drew Brees, 19 to 34, 134 yards, a touchdown, three picks. A couple of them were tipped in the air, so that's not really fair. But it, it's just it was just clear that, you know, Brees just doesn't have the arm strength anymore. The best throw yeah. of the game for the Saints was Jameis Winston's touchdown pass. That was the <laughs> best throw that the Saints had in that game. So, you know, it's it's rough that, you know, in all likelihoods, uh, Drew Brees' career ends with a game like that. But at the end of the day, um, I feel like the better team won. I was wrong. Last week, I think I went on the show, I said the Saints would win. Mm-hmm. And then the more I thought about it for the rest of the show and then the rest of the week, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't like what I said. I think the Bucks are going to pull it out, but I'll stick that. I'll say, I'll still say that I was wrong about the saints, even though I technically changed my mind, but just not Mm -hmm. on the show. So Mm -hmm. Buccaneers win Brady, another conference championship game. It's just so easy for him. It's amazing. I saw a funny tweet. It was since 1997, Brady has been in one more has been in an NFC championship game and the Cowboys have been in none. And the Cowboys have been in the NFC for 25 years and Brady's been in for one. I thought that was really funny. But I don't know. Pick your poison wherever you want to talk about first, either Brady moving on or the end of Drew Brees. Uh, we'll go Brady first, and we'll give Drew Brees the the time that he deserves. But it's just, like, again, everybody hates on Brady. And for, for whatever reason, they're like, oh, he's propped up. He's this, he's that. He's carried by his defense. He's this, he's that. Winning follows him. Oh, and then at what point do you say he's the reason they're winning? And and then just throughout the whole game, I'm just watching and I'm just like, what is it going to take for him to retire? Because you look at an uh, an aging Drew Brees, who, like you said, doesn't have his arm strength clearly anymore. Tom Brady has not lost a step. He was never mobile, so he didn't have to worry about that. His arm still has a ton of zip on. He could still and his offense usually don't need him to throw the ball down the field all the time. Exactly, and I, I just and then his brain is only going to get smarter. So that it's it's I really don't know when he's going to stop playing football. The only thing I could think of is some like ACL injury or anything that he's going to have to rehab for a whole year, where he might just say, "Eh, I'm done." 
but he's such a sicko that he might look at that like a challenge and then say, screw it. Yeah, I'm going to show everybody how a 43 year old can recover from uh, a season ending injury. I think he'll retire when he just decides I don't want to do this anymore. But when is that ever going to happen? It doesn't seem like that's something that he'll ever like concede. Like, I think, yeah. I don't know if he said, he said, he definitely said he wanted to play until I don't know if it was 50 or 45, Might have been but he 45. definitely said some age, maybe 45, maybe after 45, then he's done. But He's 43 now. I mean, it's amazing a 43-year-old in the conference championship game. And to do uh, it with a new team, mm -hmm. learning a new coach and a new system after 20 years at one place, in a pandemic, not having a training camp, not having a preseason, basically just going out there and playing, making it to the conference championship game with an organization that hasn't been there since 2002. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to give... Brady credit when he was a Patriot because I hated the Patriots so much. But now yeah. that he's a Buccaneer, I think everyone that hated that Patriots dynasty has to throw their hands up and say, you know what? You got me, Tom. Yeah. You're, you're amazing. Yeah. You, you just got to respect it. And kind of something that just popped in my head. Let's just say, cause say, say uh, Brady's deal with, with the Bucks is last another two years, say, so say he's, he's 45, whatever it is, 44 and he's a free agent. Say hypothetically, hopefully this doesn't happen. But Daniel Jones and Tua both, we Dolphins and Giants realize he they are our quarterback. Would you take Tom Brady if he is is playing exactly how he is now? I feel like you're saying yes, one hundred percent of the time. I I would if I thought my roster was good enough to win. If I had a Tom Brady, I would say yes, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, like it's on just, a one year deal, and why not? Why not? He he he's gonna be just an absolute mercenary for win now teams around the league after this Bucks again like I, I he's going to play out because I'm pretty sure it was a two-year deal with the Bucks he has no ties to Tampa Bay he can go play wherever he wants hey I want to go play in Miami it's warm down there hey, I want to go play with the Colts they look like they could win now I want to go play this this that and the other who's who's really saying no to Tom Brady no nobody would say no to Tom Brady it, it that's what I mean sense. he just does he's just like a surgeon out there eight yeah. receivers had a catch in this game, that's that doesn't happen. Normally, it's like four or five, maybe five, but eight different guys had a reception in this game. Fournette had 17 for 63. That's not great. So this is really all on Brady. Of course, they got help because, you know, the Saints turned the ball over four times, but you run out of words when somebody just consistently over and over and over again succeeds and Brady did that and the question that we asked in week one was the Patriots dynasty Brady and Belichick I don't think you could totally end that conversation right now because we got to yeah. see what Bill Belichick could build especially if he mm -hmm. brings in a more competent quarterback than what Cam Newton turned out to be but mm -hmm. right now as we sit here on January what is it 18th mm -hmm. it would be it's the answer is Tom Brady right now as of who was more important in that dynasty yeah, and, and it, it's 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 a, such a funny thing to kind of compare the two. And again, I think they're both great. Like I think, of course, Tom. I think Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time, and I think Bill Belichick is the best best coach of all time. Just like we talked about before with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, two elite, one elite quarterback, one elite coach, just in the same time, just an absolute elite, perfect situation. And uh, something with. Uh, what I was about to say something with uh with Brady and uh just kind of the defense there just again the defense stepping up and it's going to be interesting to see how 
I guess the offense needs to come a little bit more alive because they did a good job scoring points off turnovers. And obviously Tom's not going to let those opportunities go to waste, but to see what happens, assuming that Rogers doesn't turn the ball over because you have to assure, or you have to assume that he's not going to turn the ball over three times or four times like Breeze did. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see kind of the game plan that, that Tampa Bay is going to come out. Oh, what I was going to say was I am still not a Bruce Arians fan. Just, Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know what it is. It's just, he never seems to kind of hold himself accountable like you, you have one of the best offenses on paper around you, and he's always seeming to he's, he always seems to put blame on somebody else. It's Brady's fault. It's this guy's fault. It's that guy's fault. Like maybe it's your fault. So it's, it's yeah. just I, I just the, the only worry I had for the Bucks going into this week was Bruce Arians, not Tom Brady, not the defense, not anybody else on that team, just the coach. Isn't it ironic because we heard all the stories about you know this summer when Brady decided to go to the Buccaneers that he went because Bruce Arians is like this fun players yeah. coach kind of guy mm-hmm. and it turned out not to be like that i mean give them credit they're in the nfc championship game so it worked out it, at least in year one it worked out but mm-hmm. you know i i think you're right there was a lot of times during the season where bruce arians would say things specifically about tom brady it's yeah. not you know it's not Jameis winston anymore it's tom brady mm-hmm. and you just scratch your head and you're like why would you say that about you know the greatest quarterback of all time it, it was very it, it was very interesting to me that that was the position he took a lot but, yeah. you know, as I said before, they're sitting in the NFC championship game. So it's hard to complain if you're a Buccaneers fan. Yeah. Again, I, I'm sure a lot of the time the media just kind of hyped it up more than it was. But I, I'm sure a few times Brady was like may, maybe taken back by some of the statements because it's, it's like you said before, it's one thing to say to Tom Brady, who's the greatest quarterback of all time. But you're saying it to Tom Brady when they were losing games and it wasn't really his fault in, in, in the sense like that, like it wasn't anything really on him because he has the skill, he knows what he's doing. So like to kind of put it all on him was like, really? Like I, no. it just seemed lazy. Let's uh, let's, let's talk about Drew Brees because this is probably one of the last times we'll talk about Drew Brees, Brees as a, you know, current football player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it sucks that it ends this way. And it, it's it's probably a shame that he only won one Super Bowl because he was probably good enough to win multiple. And, you know, there was a few seasons where his defense was terrible. You know, there was that one season where with Bounty Gate, everybody got suspended. So that was kind mm-hmm. of a lost season. But he brought that city out of Katrina and he won a Super Bowl and he made them a perennial playoff team almost every single year of his time there. They brought him over from San Diego after it didn't work out. And San Diego wanted to move on to Phil Rivers, but you know, it, it it's it, it happens. Like I think we said last week, you know, not everybody has the Derek Jeter, Peyton Manning send off where everything's mm-hmm. just a storybook ending, a fairy tale Disney movie, where you know you win and you get you ride off into the sunset as a champion. That for the most part, ninety five percent of the time, that does not happen. Um, it yeah. didn't happen for Brett Favre. It didn't happen for you can just you can name a guy and it didn't happen mm-hmm. for them. And yeah. Drew Brees is one of those guys. And at the end of the day, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when we think about Drew Brees, we're not going to think about, you know, this season, even though he didn't have a bad season. We're mm-hmm. not going to think about, you know, the Drew Brees that didn't have the arm strength anymore and just couldn't push the ball downfield. We'll yeah. think about the guy that holds basically every single record a quarterback can have. Yeah. I mean, you were saying before just about non fairy tale endings. Dan Marino's last game of his career, the Dolphins lost sixty two to seven. So okay. to Drew to Drew Brees to Drew Brees' uh defense, it could have been worse. But yeah, like 
you mentioned too about Katrina and we were, how old were we when, Eight. when Katrina? Yeah. So we were young, but we were obviously could kind of grasp the reality, not to the extent we do now, but I just remember that was the first time I really saw Drew Brees just kind of on TV, on sports and stuff like that. And Tyron Matthews spoke about just how, how important he was to just the city, the whole state, and even just the, the country. Like he was a figure that people looked to for inspiration. And it, it was so awesome to see. And then people want to like kind of question the power of sports and what it means to people. They have to look back and remember what Drew Brees did for and the Saints just as a whole, what they did for everybody. It gave them hope. I mean, the Superdome gave people a home for a, a long time when they lost theirs because of the hurricane. So it just it, the, the faith that people put in, into sports organizations and just what it means to be a fan can kind of be summed up in Saints fans and their faith in the New Orleans Saints when Katrina happened. It was just like such a crazy experience to, to see that a whole community could rally around not only each other, but basically just the franchise of New Orleans Saints. And then you're sitting here wondering like, oh, like, like why would a football team or people who hit each other for a living kind of give citizens who just lost their homes hope? And that's just the crazy power of sports is that you're, you're buying in to this like non-blood uh, related family. And it's just a, a brotherhood, just a family that has your back. And the, the New Orleans Saints paid their respects to the fans that supported them over so many years. And they returned the favor, like I said, by, by using the Superdome as a, 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 like a medical station just for so many people and stuff like that. So just Drew Brees was at the forefront of all that and just gave so much hope and inspiration to so many people in Louisiana, in New Orleans, and just across the country. And just tip of the cap to him. And when you look back on his career, I think you're going to remember that guy, that leader, more so than you're going to remember the player. And I think that just is a testament to who he is as a person. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Um, teams and how communities kind of grasp those teams in times of need. Yankees after 9-11, the Red Sox after the the uh, marathon uh, bombing, and mm -hmm. then obviously the Saints after Katrina. If you go on YouTube, I'm sure you saw it, but for listeners that haven't seen it, if you go on YouTube and you look at the first game in the Superdome, after Katrina, because I think they played on a, on the road for the entire yeah. season. And then they mm -hmm. finally, the next year, I think it was like 2006, 2007, whatever it was, the home opener on a Monday night against Atlanta. And if you YouTube the game-winning blocked field goal touchdown in that game, it's the loudest you'll hear a stadium. So those moments, obviously, the Super Bowl against the Colts um, in Miami, I think it was in mm -hmm. Miami. In Super Bowl 41, that's things you're going to remember. You're going to remember the records. You're going to remember all-time touchdown pass, all-time uh, all passing yards. I mean, he's, he's obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. It sucks that it ends like this, but, you know, the, it's yeah. not, it, you can't take it away from him. The, the, yeah. This last game where he threw three interceptions, I think it was. Mm-hmm three interceptions nobody's going to remember this they're going to remember the good times and it sucks it happened in this game during a pandemic when he couldn't get a full house to see his last game but he's going to have a, a lot a lot of money coming in because he has an NBC contract so it's mm -hmm. not the last we'll see of Drew Brees but it is the last we'll see of the New Orleans Saints this year mm -hmm. but I wanted to ask you this before we moved on to the Packers in the NFC championship game 
do you think Jameis is a guy that can realistically step in and be the starting quarterback, or do you think they'll go outside the organization? Uh, I think they'll or go. Or Taysom Hill. I think Taysom Hill, no way. I mean, just, just on the surface, the, the Saints are projected to be 100 mil over the cap. And at the forefront of that is having to pay Taysom Hill $16 million, and he's just a gadget player. So right there, you're saying absolutely not. Another kind of domino that I'm gonna I could see falling is Michael Thomas, who had zero catches in that game against the Bucks. He's probably gonna to want to demand a trade too. Just change of scenery. No hard feelings. It is what it is. I think I think Jameis might get. I think he's gonna get a shot. I think he's gonna get a better shot over Taysom Hill. But I I, I don't know if Jameis is gonna be the guy because again, we saw his his stint in uh, Tampa Bay. And he had good weapons around him. I know the defense wasn't that good, but he, he did not play well by any means. 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, a record, horrible. That is not what Sean Payton is about. Like, think about Drew Brees, who, again, it might sound hypocritical, but usually doesn't turn the ball over, has more of a West Coast dink and dunk kind of style offense. Jameis Winston is not that guy. Now, it's going to be very tough for Sean Payton, not that he hasn't done it before, but He's going to kind of have to reinvent this offense if he does want to go down the avenue of having Jameis at the quarterback. But I think Jameis will be on the team, but I think they're kind of a team that could trade up a little bit, not all the way to the top 10, but a little bit to get a quarterback that they want. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a guarantee that'll be Jameis, but I definitely think that he's a guy that's worth taking a long look at in training mm-hmm. camp in the preseason, albeit if we have one or not. Yeah. Um, you know, the, as I said before, that touchdown pass, that was that was that was a pretty touchdown pass. It was a nice yeah. trick play. And mm-hmm. the receiver was, you know, 20 yards wide open. Like there was nobody yeah. near him. But it was mm-hmm. it was a good throw. Um, Great pass, so yeah. I don't think Jameis Winston is done as mm-hmm. a NFL football player. It didn't work out in Tampa. I think if as you said, for countless other guys, change the scenery, maybe something better happens. I think you can say that about a lot of people. Maybe yeah. Rosen gets got Mariota, who's the same draft class. As Jameis mm-hmm. Winston, there's a lot of guys worth looking at. I think Jameis Winston is one of them. So we'll put that on the shelf for, you know, over the summer when things yeah. start to happen in terms of quarterback moves and who gets moved where. Um, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on this game because it was kind of went how we thought it was going to go. Packers 32, Rams 18, Rodgers 23, 36, 296 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the Packers had 188 total rush yards. The backbreaker was the Allen Lazard touchdown. Goff was 21 to 27, 174 yards touchdown. So he played relatively well. It just wasn't enough. And I don't think anything the Rams could have done to change the outcome of this game. I think Aaron Rodgers is just on another level and the Packers are just on another level of what the Rams are right now. And Mm -hmm. this game, in my opinion, went exactly like I thought it was going to go. Yeah. It just, they are the hottest team in the NFL right now. And we, we referenced before the bills cooled down a little bit. The Chiefs struggled a little bit, and obviously Mahomes got hurt. Green Bay is firing on every cylinder in the book and some. Aaron Rodgers is absolutely surgical at the line. You see the videos of him smirking at what the defense is sending at him. It's just This game is just too easy for him right now, and he's so smart. And then his running backs are doing a great job. His offensive line is doing a great job. And I know if you talk to some Packers fans, for the most part, the defense has been what's let them down. And finally, they're kind of stepping up. I think they have a lot, a lot of good pressure from uh, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. And then obviously, Jair Alexander is holding guys to one to no catches just about every game. So just 
finally the Packers defense looks like it's ready to contend for a Super Bowl. And clearly Aaron Rodgers has been ready ever since he won his first one. So I, I'm definitely rooting for, for Aaron Rodgers. And you talked about it earlier, how it sucks that Drew Brees only has one Super Bowl. I think Aaron Rodgers is another guy where you're saying yeah, he has to have has to have more than one Super Bowl. And I think this is going to be the year. Yeah, I mean, it's almost impossible to stop him. It, it, he makes it look so easy. If you pressure him a little bit, he'll go on the run and he'll flick his yeah. wrist 50 yards down the field. He'll hit somebody wide open. It's it's mm-hmm. stupid. It's like he's playing Madden on rookie mode. So, yeah. you know, it, it's nothing to be ashamed of if you're Los Angeles. They actually had maybe probably had a little bit closer than I thought. But, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's stopping Aaron Rodgers right now. Yeah. Um, at least no defense. We'll see if he can win in a shootout against a guy like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen in the Super Bowl if he makes there, or if Tom Brady can beat him in a shootout. And that was kind of my next question that I that I was kind of trying to get to in terms of the NFC Championship game. What do the the Buccaneers have to do? What could they do to slow him down a little bit? Because for as great as Brady is, and we gave him all the credit in the world around five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not throwing the ball and putting up the points at the same rate as uh, Aaron Rodgers is for the Packers. So you mm-hmm. got to look at this Buccaneers defense and Brady has to be looking at his defense and saying, you got to help me. You got to get me a couple turnovers. You got to shift the tide a little bit so I can outscore this guy, because I don't think the Buccaneers could do that if they don't force a few turnovers in this game. Yeah, I mean, you look back to the uh, week five game when Green Bay played at Tampa and Tampa Bay won 30 to 10. They picked off Aaron Rodgers twice. Aaron Rodgers in that game was 16 for 35 for 160 yards. That is probably definitely his worst game of the year. Honestly, it could be one of his worst games in the last like five years. I mean, absolutely terrible game. The offense clearly came alive and the defense did everything they possibly could and more. Now, just... Law of averages wise, it's similar to what we said with Tampa Bay. You're not going to lose to the the Saints three times in a season. Is Green Bay going to lose to to Tampa Bay back to back? I feel like Rodgers and that tandem with LaFleur are going to be smart enough to figure out what they did wrong and then fix it come this game. And obviously, I think the conditions are on their side. Even yeah, though it's going to be what? Top, 10 degrees? Like tw- like 25 degrees probably feels like 10 to 15. And not the that Buccaneers Tom Brady have been chilling in games. Florida all year. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Tough. That's a, that's a yeah. tough ask. No, I'm sure it, Brady's going to be fine because Brady's dealt with New England. Exactly. Old, but not everybody but else. The rest of that roster, especially that defense. Yeah. Are they going to do to Rodgers, as you said, for a second time this year, what they did back in week five? I don't know if that's possible because you know yeah. that Rodgers is going to look at that video and he probably already has looked at that video over the course of the year with the Mm -hmm. assumption that he might have to play the Buccaneers again, he's not going to make those same mistakes twice. That's just not the kind of guy he is. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Rogers. I think they're the hotter team right now. If, if he can just kind of keep doing his thing, doesn't need to go crazy and throw 500 yards. You could throw 250, but just try not to turn the ball over. I think kind of that's, that's the recipe for success there. I'm curious. I wonder if you don't, if you have this sound in front of you, how many times was Rogers sacked in that game? So I will pull it up in one second. So we have. Because that's another thing, too. If you can get Rodgers to the ground, force him to have these third and longs, second and longs. If you put Rodgers in a situation where he's second and three, third and one, it's over. He was was sacked five times for 53 yards. Yeah. You got to get him in 
long down and distances because yeah. he thrives at second and medium, third and short. And, and, and as a defense, if you have Rodgers in that situation, you're dead because he's yeah. it, it's automatic that he'll convert those first downs. Mm-hmm. So something to to keep in mind is that Tampa Bay just reactivated their former first round defensive tackle Vita Vea, who's clearly going to be a presence uh, in Rodgers' face. So they're getting some reinforcements at the perfect time for the Buccaneers. Yeah, and you, you, they have guys with a pedigree. They obviously have Tom Brady on the defensive side. They have Jason Pierre-Paul, who, of course, is he's a little bit older than his Giants days, but mm-hmm. in that one Super Bowl run that he went on the Giants, he beat Aaron Rodgers at yeah. Green Bay. So mm-hmm. he's probably telling his defense, hey, this is not an impossible task, but it's a very tall task because of how good Aaron Rodgers is playing. So before we get into some head coach openings, let's do a little bit of a of a prediction for these two games, Chiefs, Bills, Packers, Bucks. On the AFC side, as we said previously in the very beginning of this episode, this is predicated on Mahomes' health. If Mahomes mm-hmm. is healthy, I think that the Chiefs are going to win this game. Um, and then if he's not, I think the Bills have a shot to win this game as well. I don't trust Chad Henney over the course of 60 minutes. Um, I've said this since we debuted this podcast. I will believe Mahomes will lose when I see it happen. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ride with the Chiefs if Mahomes plays, Packers, Bucks. I think the Bucks could do it, but I just to play it safe, I think the Packers are just going to win this game. But, you know, how cool would it be to see Mahomes and Brady in the Super Bowl? I, I think yeah. any of these matchups, the four quarterbacks that we have left are so entertaining and interesting and enticing. I think whatever Super Bowl we end up getting is going to be a really, really good watch and a really interesting storyline. Yeah, no, I think so too. I mean, it's just, it's the new school versus old school. And you have the older guys, Rodgers is in his mid thirties, Brady's 43. They don't want to give up the throne right now. And you have the young guns and Allen and Mahomes who are ready to take it from them. And it's, it's such an awesome dynamic and you couldn't really script it any better how it's kind of panning out. I think you, you honestly have two basically, Super Bowl esque matchups is one in the AFC and one in the NFC. I mean, both games are going to be absolutely awesome. And I still agree with you that the Chiefs are still going to win. I honestly even think that with Chad Henney, they might put up a put up a little bit of a fight. I think Andy Reid is a good enough coach to figure yeah. it out somewhat. Like instead of losing, they're not going to lose by 14. They might lose by maybe 10, 7, 3, but they might still have a chance that it might just be one possession. I think now, that team has so much pride and so much, yeah. I guess, swagger from the Super Bowl last year. I think even if Henny starts, they'll find a way to have a chance at the end. Yeah, I, I agree too. I think they, they will not be getting blown out in that game, no matter who's that quarterback in the NFC side. I, 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 I you have to go with Rogers, but just like you have to, but something about just any team that Brady's on, it's just like, it, it, it just it gives you a better chance to win. Like he just someone who makes the teammates around him better. I mean, we've seen that with the uh, with, with with how prosperous guys like Chris Hogan and guys like Gronk and guys like Julian Edelman have been with Tom Brady. So it, I think it, it's really going to come down to it, it's going to come down to like you said before. It can you rattle up Rodgers, maybe even make him turn over once because Tampa Bay is very, very good, as we saw in the Saints game, at creating points off of turnovers. Now, I'm still, again, I'm unfortunately going to agree with you that I'm going to go with the, the Packers to win. So we're the same there in both games. But I think the 
the NFC championship game is going to get a ton more viewers than the I, NFC. I agree. I agree. I think I, I feel that because I think Buffalo is more of a niche market. I think mm. people love Mahomes. Really, Kansas City is too, but Mahomes is just this transcendent star that I don't think Allen is yet. I think Brady and Rodgers are two larger than the sport superstars. And I think that's going to get not a Super Bowl number because Super mm-hmm. Bowl is just a completely different thing. But it would it could probably be one of the highest rated championship games of all time. Now, yeah, now, I'm just kind of trying to think back. And obviously, I don't really have any way of knowing off the top of my head or statistically. But I feel like the more popular quarterback is Brady over Mahomes. Is that crazy to say? Even I feel like even I think so. I think he's obvious. He's most the most known. I mean, he's been yeah. around since two thousand one. I feel like even Rogers is gives Mahomes a run for his money. I think I think, I think the longevity. I think the longevity of those two give them an edge in notoriety and popularity over Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mahomes is the best of the four left. But in terms of a household name, I definitely think the NFC has the has the more of a star power than the AFC side. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to come back next week and look at the the viewership stats. But I, I feel like the NFC game might blow the AFC well, out which of the game's water first? a little bit. Uh, I'll tell you in one second. I can find that out too. Give me one second. Let's so we got. So Sunday at three oh five is Bucks Packers. That's going to help the AFC. For the AFC having the night game, mm-hmm. I think that helps the AFC game. But I do think, but it helps the AFC game in terms of like catching up to the NFC game. I feel. I think it'll yeah. be close. I think if the NFC game was later, the late game, I think it would be a blowout in terms of viewership. So you assume that so Bills Chiefs is CBS that Romo and Nance are doing that. Yeah, and then, and then, then Joe have... Buck and Aikman will do obviously Buccaneers Packers. Yes, I don't. I I I still have to lean towards that NFC game. To be I honest. think I, I think so too. I think it, it's it'll be closer than it would have been if it was flipped. But I still mm-hmm. think the NFC game has a larger rating. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to see what that number comes out to be. I think it could be huge because these I'm, are. I'm very excited. Really, that Buccaneers Packers matchup. That is a Super Bowl type matchup. You know, That's Brady I mean. Rogers, two first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah. Um, you know, two organ uh, at least the Packers organization one that's really, you know, and the Bucks could potentially the be the Buccaneers. The first you know, they've been around for a while. Yeah, they could be um, the first team to host a really host a playoff. I mean, host a, a Super Bowl game and play it in their own stadium. Yeah, I told I didn't even realize that. I don't. I never that's, thought about never that. The never Buccaneers happened. win this game. They quote unquote host the Super Bowl. That would be really interesting. And it'd be really interesting because, you know, there, I think there'll be fans there. I think there'll be yeah. some capacity. Oh, it's Florida. <laughs> they can do it and they let's want. say the Chiefs and Buccaneers play in the Super Bowl. How many Chiefs fans could get their hands on tickets on the secondary market? Now, there'll be a block of tickets for the Chiefs and their season ticket holders. Yeah. But how many Chiefs fans are going to be able to get those StubHub Ticketmaster? or just normal tickets that are for the general public. I think it could be mm-hmm. a really big home, obviously a huge home field advantage for the Buccaneers if they make it that far. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly with the Bucks, but I know with the Dolphins that they were at uh 13,000 capacity. I, w- I would assume, same. I would assume. Or so maybe too. because it's the Super Bowl, they might just do a little bit more. I, that's what I was going to say. I feel like eh, maybe bump it up to like 25, like, because yeah. a lot of the stadiums, they don't open up the upper deck. But obviously, with with thirteen thousand, you have the upper deck spread as well. So 
maybe they, they just kind of bump it up a little bit to even say 15 to get to 20 and to make it a little interesting. It, it is yeah. Florida. And it would probably be, if it's 20, it would be 15,000 to 5,000 in favor of the Buccaneers, I would think. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and that is a crazy difference. And maybe maybe even less if the Bills make it, because I think Bills fans are just psychopaths. They'll do whatever yeah. it takes. They'll spend any kind of money to go down there. But I think it'll mm-hmm. be a large, obviously, it'll be a, a large, large majority of Buccaneer fans in Tampa. Have you been to that stadium? I've, I've driven by it a ton. I've driven by it too. Never it's gone two, sec- two seconds away. It's from, across the street uh, from uh, the Yankees. Exactly. Train Yankees, yeah. So I've driven by. It's huge. It's massive. They got the pirate ship out there. Yeah. But I, I've never been inside. Yeah, but we will, we'll see what happens. Um, the weekend is the halftime guy. Can't wait for that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Oh, but yes. Very pumped for that. Very pumped for the weekend. Love the weekend. Um, loved him in Uncut Gems. He was great. Yes. Um, there's a couple of head coaching positions as we wind this down. There's a couple of head coaching positions that are still out there, the Texans and the Eagles. No, none of those teams or organizations are very – sought after or very interesting if i was a head coach maybe i'd stay mm-hmm. away because obviously the eagles are are a dumpster fire right now we don't even know what they're going to look like and the texans yeah. have a disgruntled deshaun watson who probably is not going to be there so if you're a guy like eric Bieniemy, who we know probably deserves a head coaching job by now it's amazing he hasn't got one do you look at these two teams if you're the enemy and you said you know what maybe one more season as an offensive coordinator for the chiefs might not be that bad yeah i i just sent you a little article about just all the hirings and stuff like that uh yeah i think it, it, it's something that a lot of people are talking about in the media i know ryan clark brought it up that he cut he, he was he was on the the rich eisen show and he said don't be alarmed if uh if the enemy doesn't get a job Now, like you said, he is more than well-deserving. I mean, Adam Gase got a job probably a week after he got fired from the Dolphins and he did it with the Jets. And people are, I think, at least just kind of fans talking on Twitter, stuff like that, are saying, oh, well, he's only good because he's behind Andy Reid and has the Chiefs. Well, that could be said about anybody. I mean, Joe Judge, uh, exactly. Any any Belichick guy, any David guy. it's, it's about giving somebody the chance or the opportunity. And whether Biennemi succeeds or fails, I feel like he is the most deserving of an opportunity. And it, it's, such a, it's such a weird kind of thing because I feel like him being in the playoffs and not having these formal interviews is hurting his cause right That now. was the point I was just going to make. They said that on the Michael K. show today. Does Biennemi being in the conference championship and the Super Bowl last three years mm-hmm. – does that hurt him? Because as you said, he can't have these formal interviews where he flies out and yeah. has a face-to-face meeting with these guys because he's too busy game planning for the playoff game that he has. Yeah. Um, that That's tough because these teams that need head coaches, they don't want to wait for the enemy and then God forbid they don't get him. And then everybody else that, that was hired while they were waiting on the enemy got obviously picked up by someone and then they're left without a head coach in February. That's not what you want if you're an NFL organization. So I absolutely agree with you. The enemy not or the enemy being in the deep part of the playoffs with the chiefs year in and year out has really hurt him in his interview process. Yeah. I mean, even you look at uh, Brian devil too of the bills, he was slated basically to get the Chargers job. And then just a couple of days ago, they go with Brandon Staley of, uh, uh, of the DC for the uh, Rams. People say he's like the next Sean McVay or whatever. 
we'll see if that's true. But again, another coach who is deep in the playoff run right now and doesn't have those formal interviews. Now, I saw that, I guess, uh, enemy is having like a Zoom meeting with the Texans. I don't know if that was something that was like just allowed now. I'm not too sure kind of how, how it works, but it, it raises the question of like, should coaches be allowed to be even interviewed, not even just hired, but interviewed until after the season. So you kind of have a more level playing field. Yeah, that's, that's tough. That, 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 that's a good, I I think it's a good idea. I don't see what the problem with would be if you just told everybody to wait until after the Super Bowl to do any sort of trades or hirings or free agent signings, because in other sports like the NBA, they have, it doesn't, it's not that way with head coaches, but more predominantly players. There's a day that free agency starts. Major League Baseball yeah. transactions can happen, you know, 10 days after the World Series. There's like a buffer period mm-hmm. where everyone has to wait. Should the NFL, because head coaches are so important, should there be mm-hmm. kind of a waiting period for teams to have after the Super Bowl so everybody gets a chance to interview everyone who's deserved of an interview? That, that's a good yeah. point. I never really thought of it that way. It just, just when you, when you look at it, like all these, like the Jets are basically constructed their whole brand new uh, team right now. And the Chiefs are going to be behind the eight ball if, say, they lose the enemy. So mm-hmm. now Andy Reid doesn't get his, his first choice for who he kind of wants to fill in as OC. So it, you're almost like getting penalized in a way of being good if, yeah. with the, the coaches and stuff like that. So I, I don't see why they don't just say, hey, you could fire your coach whenever you want and you could you could uh, put in an interim guy. That's fine. But once this your season is done and you fire your head coach, like that's it. Like just you have to wait. And, and I mean, how it's what, four or five weeks from week 17 to the Super Bowl? Yeah. So it, what's what's the harm in that? I mean, you don't start up. And again all these teams that OTAs are out, in August. all these teams that are out right now, they have a head start on their offseason that these final four teams have. There's a lot of yeah. teams right now that are probably talking trade. There are a lot of teams right yeah. now talking to the Texans about Deshaun Watson, not saying that any of the four teams right now would be in the Deshaun Watson conversation, but mm-hmm. any transaction negotiation, you know, trade proposals, any team that's still in right now, they're not worried about that because they still have games. Is it fair that, you know, some teams get a head start teams that, obviously aren't as good as the good as these four teams left. Is it fair that worser teams are getting a head start to build their teams for the future instead of having kind of like a freeze on yeah. off season um, events or negotiations yeah. or interviews or whatever, and wait for all 32 teams to have the same time period between now and the NFL draft. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, I, I think you a hundred percent need, uh, a pause kind of blackout period right here. Like you said before, every other and that's just a word because they're going to go behind the scenes and do it anyway. Yeah. But just like Which, formal, yeah. I don't want to see organizations tweet out, you know, we just interviewed this guy while yeah, there's teams. I don't want to see any of that. Like that's, yeah, how's that 100%. fair to Eric the that coaches and coordinators from teams that are out or interviewing when he can't, because he has to focus on what the chiefs are doing next week. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's rough for the and it's cost them a couple jobs. I feel like. I think so too, because you, you could argue, Oh, well, if the coach, I mean, if, if the, the GM and the front office really likes the enemy, they'll wait for him, but you're not going to wait for him because they're going to interview a bunch of other guys anyway. And one of those guys could just, 
kind of blow them away in the interview Yeah, and process. that organization and, might panic and say, why would we risk waiting for Bianca not, get it. not yeah. getting him yeah. and then lose out on the guy we just interviewed and we liked? I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head by saying it's more of a, it, it's just a timing thing. I mean, you, you look how quickly it took for Robert Sala to, to get signed, uh, I mean, to get hired by, by the Jets. And you look at all these coaches, like, it just it happens one after the other after the other after the other. I mean, just now you heard too that Josh McDaniel is now the front runner for the Eagles. So it's like these things develop so rapidly that it is unfair to the Bills OC and the enemy. It, it, it's it's hard to say that it's not. Yeah, let's just say hypothetically, like the Chiefs had a great offense this year, but their defense mm-hmm. was just dreadful and everything just kind of failed. And for whatever reason, on a miracle, they mm-hmm. didn't make the playoffs. The enemy yeah. would be a coach somewhere else by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would have no, gotten I, hired weeks ago maybe even by doubt. a team like the jets who you know have a offense that needs to rebuild and they picked a defensive guy anyway which is yeah. kind of you know we could you everyone says they like say uh, how do you pronounce his name salah Sala, i think salah everyone likes salah but you know the jets have a quarterback issue that they need to fix and they need a guy that's going to fix said quarterback and mm-hmm. the enemy would have been a perfect guy for that but the jets felt like they couldn't wait for B enemy because what if they waited and then they didn't get B enemy and then Sal is already gone. It's a, it's a, it's a catch 22 for these organizations. Yeah, no, I mean, you even look back at with like the urban Meyer to the Jaguars discussions. I feel like the second week 17 ended urban Meyer was basically in the Jaguars back pocket. Mm-hmm. He was on, on the, the guy, the owner con his like private jet or his yacht. One of the two. So you and knew if the what was happening was available for, you know, getting wined and dined by the Jaguars at that time, yeah. you know, there's a chance he would have gotten the coaching job over urban Meyer because he's a pro because um, the enemy is a proven offensive coordinator in the NFL. Urban yes. Meyer is a college head coach. Mm-hmm. I would rather take the coordinator from an NFL standpoint because, you know, he knows how to run an NFL offense. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree that too. And that's a topic we can get into another time, but it's just, I, 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 I find it hard to believe that the odds are not stacked up against them. And it, yeah. it's so unfortunate because I think the enemy is a great candidate and he's a, a great choice for a ton of other teams. And it sucks because he's kind of stuck in, in this, in this, in this just lateral position. I mean, again, being the OC of the chiefs and fighting for Super Bowls every year is not a bad backup plan, but his end goal is to be a head coach. And, he's missing out on probably 10 opportunities because he's in the playoffs. And uh, it would be hard to convince me otherwise. Yeah. And it's tough because let's say he says, I don't like the Eagles or Texans job. I'm just going to stay where I am with the chiefs, do it another year. And then this time next year, they're back in the AFC championship game. And this whole process starts again and he loses out on the other eight jobs. So Mm -hmm. it's rough. um, But that's kind of the hand he's dealt. I'm sure if you ask him, he's totally fine with his teams always going to the Super Bowl or the mm-hmm. at least the AFC championship game. Yeah. So I don't I think if you asked him, he said, Hey, I'm still coaching a team right now. I gotta worry about that. But it has to be a little bit of annoying when ba- by the time his, this is all over. His bank account ain't getting up there. Yeah. And you know, by the time let's say they win on Sunday and then another two weeks until the Super Bowl, Texans and Eagles will probably have their coach by then. I would be hard pressed to think that they wouldn't. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Bianami. He'll be a head coach eventually, but it might he might not have to wait another year. And that's tough yeah. because I remember everyone was screaming last year that he never got it. He didn't get a job. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see with him. 
Um, you know, this Sunday, Chiefs, Bills, Packers, Bucks. Do we have any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this thing up? Uh, I mean, I, I just think you're going to get some of the best football that we've ever seen. And I think with like like weeks ago when they had Nickelodeon on, hopefully the kids tune in and everybody tunes in because I think this is going to be the pinnacle of the NFL and honestly just uh, of this, these past 12 months. Yeah, you can make the argument that this week, this weekend with these two games and these two matchups between these four quarterbacks will probably be more, you know, I guess more, what's the word I'm looking for? It'll be more interesting and the, the diehard, hardcore football fans will find this more appealing than two weeks, three weeks from now with the Super Bowl because you're going to have uh, these I, I two agree. things. Like, I feel like more people are hyped up for this weekend with these two games than they yep. will for the actual Super Bowl itself because there's so many storylines with the young versus the old, with mm-hmm. Brady on the new team. Can he bring a new team to the Super Bowl in year one? Can Aaron Rodgers finally get back to the Super Bowl after what, 10 years? Can the Chiefs keep their repeat hopes alive? And can Josh Allen bring an organization that was a laughing stock for 20 years to the Super Bowl in year three? I think this is I think this is an insane weekend of storylines in the NFL. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm so pumped for Sunday. Yep. So Sunday will happen. We'll get the games and then we'll talk about it and we'll post it right here on the Ice the Kicker podcast. So we are going to be with you from wall to wall to recap the AFC and NFC League championship games, and then preview the Super Bowl. And we will do all of that next week. But until then, for Matt Ferrar, my name is Glenn Negers. Enjoy the championship weekend, and we'll see you next week.